Our first reading today is from Proverbs 25. These are more proverbs of Solomon, compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. As the heavens are high and the earth is deep, so the hearts of kings are unsearchable. Remove the dross from the silver and a silversmith can produce a vessel. Remove a wicked officials from the king's presence and his throne will be established through righteousness. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. What you have seen with your eyes do not bring hastily to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbour puts you to shame? If you take your neighbour to court, do not betray another's confidence, or the one who hears it may shame you and the charge against you will stand. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is the rebuke of a wise judge to a listening ear. Like a snow-cooled drink at harvest time is a trustworthy messenger to the one who sends him. He refreshes the spirit of his master. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. Through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. If you find honey, eat just enough, too much of it and you will vomit. Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, too much of you and they will hate you. Like a club or a sword or a sharp arrow is one who gives false testimony against a neighbour. Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in a time of trouble. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day or like vinegar poured on a wound is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Like a north wind that brings unexpected rain is a sly tongue which provokes a horrified look. Better to live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Like cold water to a weary soul is good news from a distant land. Like a muddy spring or a polluted well are the righteous who give way to the wicked. It is not good to eat too much honey nor is it honourable to search out matters that are too deep. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. And our second reading is James chapter 1, verses 19 to 25. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do.
Thank you, Heather. Uh, morning, friends. Morning. If we haven't met, I'm Steve. Uh, I've been coming here, coming here for about four years with my wife, Anne. Um, and thanks to uh, Shane and Robin for the invitation to lead us through the latest chapter of Proverbs. Shane and I were talking about this after the 8 o'clock service. And Proverbs is one of my favourite books in the Bible. I think I first got into it when I left uh, school way back last century. Um, and it grabbed me. And so for 34 years since, I've been regularly diving into Proverbs. So let's uh, dive in this morning. I want you to think back to the last time you went grocery shopping. Whether in the supermarket or click and collect or you got an online delivery. What was in your trolley? What got put in your boot? What grocery items ended up at your front door? Now chances are it wasn't like the man that I saw at our local Brownsville Foodworks the other week. He came up to the counter with a bag bursting with bananas. There was enough bananas to feed a zoo of monkeys. The lady at the chair goes, oh, you're taking, you're buying all our bananas. Now I take it about 20 kilos of bananas wasn't his regular shop, unless perhaps he does have a zoo of monkeys. Because with our regular shops, we don't just bulk up with one item. Our regular shops, we have a wide range of recurring items to meet our wide-ranging recurring daily needs. So, um, yeah, we, don't, we just don't get our trolleys, put it there and load it up with tomato sauce one week and next time we come up, we load it with up toothpaste and so on and so forth. We keep cycling through a range of items to meet our wide-ranging daily needs. Now, what's this got to do with Proverbs and wisdom? Well, uh, the chapters in Proverbs are like shopping trolleys, filled with a wide range of items to meet our wide-ranging wisdom needs. So as I'm sure you've picked up as we made our way through Proverbs, there's all sorts of topics. There's money, there's wealth, there's kindness, there's generosity, there's self-control, there's words, how we use our words, there's leadership, there's friendship, there's work. There's a whole host of things. What Proverbs doesn't do is take a category and drop it all in one chapter. And so chapter 11 is all about money, read that, you're right. Chapter 12 is all about generosity, read that, you're right. Chapter 13 is all about how we use our speech, read that and you're right. It'd be much more straightforward if Proverbs was arranged that way. But life isn't straightforward, is it? Uh, living in this, in this fallen world is complicated and complex. And what's more, learning to live wisely in this fallen world doesn't just happen in one hit. It's not like when we're 18, we get, hey, this, here's how you deal with money, live wisely with it, right off you go, next topic. No, learning to live wisely in this fallen world is a lifelong, recurring task. So Proverbs, um, the way it's structured, it reflects this reality and this process in growing wise. So you have, uh, as you cycle through the chapters, you find these recurring items uh, to do a wide range of area of life to meet our wide-ranging wisdom needs. And as you read and reflect and put into practice the wisdom of Proverbs, not once, but over and over and over the years, just like we just don't shop for our daily needs once, we shop over and over, over the years. As you read Proverbs over and over again and seek to put it into practice, 
we grow in wisdom. Now, to say this all another way, let's pinch a slogan from a well-known large supermarket chain. Reading Proverbs is like loading a trolley up at God's supermarket of wisdom to get our wisdom's worth for wise living. So today, we're going to get our trolleys loaded up with the groceries from chapter 25. Uh, Verse 1 of 25 signals for us a new section of Proverbs, which runs from 25 through to 29. Uh, These are moral Proverbs of Solomon, compiled by the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Hezekiah reigns about 200 years after Solomon. In uh, 2 Kings chapter 8, we're told that Hezekiah did what is right in the eyes of the Lord. One right thing Hezekiah did was uh, encourage the compiling of wisdom literature so God's people could have access to it so they could live wisely. And so he gets his men. um, Solomon, according to 1 Kings 4, spoke 3,000 proverbs and 1,005 songs he, he wrote. And so what we have in Proverbs up to chapter 24 is just a very small sample. So Hezekiah gets his men and says to them, get your trolleys, head down to the supermarket of God's wisdom and load the trolleys up so we can get more wisdom for living wisely. So what we're going to do today is uh, we're not going to go through all the Proverbs in chapter 25, otherwise we'd be here till next week. Uh, So what we're going to do is get our wisdom's worth from a few categories. Authority, faithfulness, dealing with our enemies and self-control. Just a heads up, we'll spend uh, more time on to do with authority and less time on the others. So let's get started with... Um, next slide. Get our wisdom's worth on authority. Uh, verses 1 to 7 and then verses 11 and 15 are to do with uh, wisdom for conducting ourselves in the royal court. Uh, how kings and subjects, and the king's subjects are to get, conduct themselves. I'm going to pick up first on verses 6 to 7. Uh, do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. See, the setting to these verses is the ancient banquet. And how the tables worked in the ancient banquet, they were in a U-shape. And you had the top table at the top of the U. At the top table was the king and all the king's VIP guests. And then the rest of the tables fanned out to form a U-shape. Now, the further away down the U-shape of tables you were, showed you uh, the less importance you had at this banquet. And the less importance your seat was. So naturally, what's the human default setting? We want to be as close as we can to the front, if not at the top table with the king and the honour that goes with that. Now, do you remember this photo? It has caused a worldwide stir back in December 2013. You see there, there's Michelle Obama and Barack Obama. Obama is president of the US at the time. Next to him is the Danish Prime Minister, Helle Uh, Thorning Schmidt, and next to her is David Cameron, the Prime Minister of the UK at the time. Now, they're at Nelson Mandela's funeral. Now, could you imagine you're the 
Danish Prime Minister, and let's face it, the Danes are quite a small nation, like Australia really, and you're the Prime Minister, and at the funeral of Nelson Mandela, a great world leader, you're sitting next to the most powerful leader in the world. What a place of honour, and the whole world is watching you. It's no wonder she has a big smile on her face, Obama want to take a selfie. But notice uh, David Cameron is also trying to get his face in the picture. Look, I'm here too, just two spots down from Obama. Notice who's not smiling. Michelle. Evidently, I haven't seen the photo, but evidently there's another photo from later in the ceremony where the Obamas have switched places. The places of honour, the best seats at the table at the funeral. So it's not just world leaders who want the best seats in the places of honour. Um, the school buses are no different. What's the pecking order on the school bus? All the cool kids, the popular kids, the older kids, they're all up the back. The uncool kids, the unpopular ones, the young ones, are they there at the front? And kids spend all their school life travelling to school trying to get to the back of the bus. Now, we may not go to banquets at royal courts. We may not attend funerals of great world leaders. And let's face it, looking around, most of us, the days of the school bus are long gone. But do we ever seek to exalt ourselves in the presence of someone of authority or importance or significance in the world we mix in? Have we ever sought to exalt ourselves to make ourselves look good? Or look at it another way, whatever world you move in and whoever's of significance and influence and authority in that world... Do you ever try to use a connection with them to exalt yourself in the presence of others? Now, the problem with doing this is that no, no matter how much we exalt ourselves, and even if it's a tiny little bit, pride is at its heart. And as Proverbs 16, 18 counsels us, pride goes before destruction or haughty spirit before a fall. You know, the person of authority could come up to us and say, uh, and put us in our place, figure it to you, literally. Uh, look, sorry, sir, this, is, this seat is reserved for the king's mother. Uh, let me take it to your seat. It's right over there in the far corner. Yes, past all those people. Or the fall could be you're at something like you're at a dinner party and you casually mention your very tenuous link to a famous person, only for another dinner guest to trump you with their long-term genuine friendship with said famous person. At Jesus, God's wisdom in the flesh, picked up on this proverb in Luke chapter 14. He's at a dinner party of a prominent Pharisee and he noticed all the guests making a mad dash for the top table, the seats of honour. And he says to them, when you go to a banquet, don't take a distinguished, seats, a distinguished guest seat Unless the host comes up to you and says, oh, look, sorry, sir, your seat's way back down here at the bottom of the U-shape. Rather, Jesus says, when you go to a dinner party, sit in the lower seat at the bottom of the U-shape. So then the host may come up to you and say, oh, please, please, sir, come up to the front and join me at the top table. And then Jesus delivers the punchline. If the slide will deliver the punchline. There you go. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. 
And who, of course, was the greatest demonstration of this? Our Lord and Saviour. Okay, second proverb to do with getting our wisdom's worth and authority is some guidance around how we persuade rulers and those in authority, those in leadership. Uh, Verse 15. Through patience a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. There's a really good example of this in 1 Samuel chapter 25 um, involving the soon-to-be King David and a woman called Abigail. You may be aware of the story that the short version is David is anointed to be king. Everyone knows he's going to be king. King Saul is furious, so he's, on, uh, he's chasing David to kill him. David's on the run. Uh, David's in the region of a wealthy farm, farmer called Nabal. And just at the previous harvest time, David took good ca- David's men took good care of Nabal's shepherds at harvest time and protected them. So David needs some food and supplies, so he gets his messages and they go to Nabal to ask for supplies. Uh, Nabal, David here, I looked after your, your, um, your shepherds at harvest time, can you please give us some food and supplies? Nabal refuses David's request in a highly offensive manner and so the messengers take this message back to David and when David hears it, he's furious and he says to all his men, all right, strap on your swords. He's going to go and kill Nabal and every male in the household. A slight overreaction, don't you think? Very unwise. Now, meanwhile, Abigail gets wind of this because the shepherds tell her what's about to happen. So she orders a whole lot of supplies to be gathered and uh, for them to go out and to meet David and she meets David. And then she does a speech that's very persuasive, very gentle, the very wise words. Um, She starts out by saying, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Uh, Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. And then she urges him not to take action to kill Nabal because of the plans the Lord has for David. And then she finishes the speech. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. Abigail, with her wise words and wise action, is an example of lady wisdom from Proverbs in action. And then David acknowledges this. He says to her, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded and a gentle tongue can break a bone. Let me draw out, just very briefly, two thoughts on on this for us in dealing with authority. Uh, Firstly, in in our now non-Christian nation and dealing with the the governments of our land, especially when they do something we disagree with uh, as Christians. A good example of this is SRE in our public schools. Um, From my point of view, SRE, yes, you can make a case for a well-rounded education involves being educated in religions. Um, And also, I think it's it's a very amazing historical privilege we Christians have being able to teach scripture in schools. 
But it's not, I don't think it's an entitlement. I don't think it's a right. So every now and then we have these blow-ups over SRE. And in the mainstream media or social media, you, you get some people speaking against SRE and they do so in a thoughtful way, in a well-spoken way. But then others go off on rants and raves full of loaded adjectives. Likewise, you have people, you know, Christians coming out speaking for SRE. And some people will do it in a well-thought-through, spoken manner. But then others also go on these rants and raves full of loaded adjectives aimed at the government or take, getting us to take action because we're being attacked, our freedom's being taken away and so on and so forth. Those ranting and ravings do little to persuade the government. When there's a blow-up in SRE, what happens behind the scenes in terms of from the Anglican diocese point of view is representatives from YouthWorks or the Archbishop or representatives on behalf of the Archbishop talk to those in authority around who control SRE. They do so with patience, with gentle, as wise as possible words seeking to make the case for SRE or explaining misinformation or correcting a wrong view of SRE. And they do it uh, based on ongoing good relationships with those in the Department of Education and the relevant minister who's in control of SRE. Through patience, a ruler can be persuaded. A gentle tongue can break a bone. I think of this in relation to our church leadership here at FAC. Now, just being up front, Robin hasn't prompted me, let alone paid me to draw a connection between verse 15 and, and us. Uh, let me put it this way. If you think about our leadership team, Shane, uh, Robin, Langdon, Greg, um, Adele, Joy, Ruth, Scott, our wardens, Iris and Wayne and Penny. If we disagree about something in church life or we're upset by something or got a beef about something or got a great idea we, we want church to adopt, how do you think they would like to be approached by us? How do you think they'd like to be talked to by us? With rants and raids loaded with adjectives? Or with patience and gentle, wise words. Our wisdom's worth on authority. Now, I spent a fair bit of time on that. The, um, the queue behind me in the checkout's getting longer, so we'll speed through the other Proverbs uh, quicker. We'll just kind of, I'll touch on them briefly to get you thinking yourself about them. So the next uh, two, get our wisdom's worth on faithfulness. Uh, Verses 14 and 19 actually address unfaithfulness, but as they do, they show us the beauty and benefits of faithfulness. Uh, so first off, uh, 14. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of gifts never given. In Israel's climate, it's an all too common occurrence for these promising clouds to appear but deliver no rain. Have you ever been, ever promised something but the person failed to deliver? It's easier to see in politicians, isn't it? If elect me, I promise. Or tradies, I promise I'll be there tomorrow. But is it as easy to see in ourselves? Or are we willing to see it in ourselves? Particularly if we have a settled habit of uh, in big and small ways regularly being cloud and wind without rain. 
When a person or a group of people is, is kind of regularly unfaithful in that way, it makes uh, the reality of verse 19 all the more true. Like a broken tooth or lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in time of trouble. Doesn't Proverbs have a resting imagery? Like a broken tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in time of trouble. If this has been your experience of someone close to you, someone in your world, like relying on them is being like trying to eat toffee with a broken tooth, it can take great wisdom as to know how to relate with them, how to do life with them. No doubt you, you hope and pray that next time they'll deliver. Uh, next time uh, they'll be a strong foot to lean on. And no doubt there's probably a history of, of, of pain and disappointment where there's been a series of broken teeth and lame feet. And then there's searching questions go with this type of experience. Well, well how do I interact with them? Or do I just give up on them? Or um, do I need to hold some of myself back in my interactions with them? And then what do we do with forgiveness and repentance and grace? How does this all fit in? These questions don't yield quick answers in the complexity of a fallen world. So what we, need, what we need is God's wisdom to know how to navigate through these. And as we do, we anchor ourselves in God's faithfulness. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. No matter how many promises God has made, he delivers yes to us in Christ. Wisdom's worth on faithfulness. Let's turn to our wisdom's worth with our enemies. Verses 21 and 22. Now, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you'll be heaping burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Now, if you're a bit puzzled about what Solomon's going at with heaping burning coals on your head, you're not the only one. The meaning and origin of this is quite obscure. We're not quite sure. The best educated guess is it's a link to an Egyptian ritual where literally burning coals we put on someone's head as a way of the physical pain of burning is then kind of meant to represent uh, burning shame and then which brings about repentance. That's perhaps the origin. Whatever the origin and meaning of heaping burning coals, the wisdom here is treating our enemies in the opposite way to the world's wisdom and perhaps the opposite the way we want to treat them. Think of David wanting to take up his sword and slash Nabal to death. God's wisdom is to treat our enemies with kindness. Now in Romans chapter 12, Paul picks up this um, proverb as a means for overcoming evil with good. Um, now to treat our enemies with kindness is not about ignoring injustice or allowing wrongdoing to go unchecked. Indeed, the context of Romans 12 is Paul says we don't need to take revenge on our enemies, we leave that to God. Because God is a God of justice and he will exercise his wrath rightly. Now it's one thing trying to understand this little proverb. How in the world do we live out its wisdom? Particularly when we've been deeply hurt and deeply wronged. 
Well, the starting point, the middle point, and the end point is to dwell in the love that God has shown us in Christ. So, <clears throat> Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were God's enemies, that's when Christ died for us. So treating our enemies with kindness is, is so hard. It takes a lot of wisdom and courage to know how to do it. Starting point, middle point, and end point is to dwell in the love that God has shown us in Christ. All right, how are you travelling? We've got one last item in the trolley. We're going to look at the very last verse. Get our wisdom's worth with self-control. Now I'm going to get you to do a quick exercise with this proverb. The words like and is aren't in the original language. Our English translations have put them in. Uh, in the original language, the verse reads a bit more tersely. and It reads something like this. A city whose walls are broken through, a person who lacks self-control. Now read through that yourself a couple of times in your head. As you do, what do you find you start doing with those two sentences? Perhaps it's too early on a Sunday for this, but you may be starting to think about it or question or puzzle through, well, well why are those two laid side by side? What have they got in common? And that's what Solomon's wanting us to do. We can imagine him saying to us, you want a little growth spurt in wisdom? Well, here are two things from life. See if you can figure out what, figure out what connects them. What, what do they have in common? Do that and you'll have a bit of wisdom to live by. Are you stuck? Do you need a bit of help? Let me kind of update it slightly. A city whose walls are broken through, a company whose cyber security is broken through, a person who lacks self-control. What do they have in common? Well, without security, you're vulnerable to attack. Whether you're a city a community, a country, a company, or an individual. And when it comes to our individual well-being, emotional, psychological, social, physical, self-control is great security. Self-control is really protective of our well-being. So it's worth asking ourselves the question, where does a lack of self-control leave me vulnerable to attack? Or where have I seen the Holy Spirit growing the fruit of self-control in me and my well-being is more secure? Where have I seen the Holy Spirit growing the fruit of self-control in me and I'm more secure because of it? All right, our trolleys are loaded up. We're through the checkout. We're heading home. Now let me just go with a couple of two suggestions and a, an encouraging reminder for how we can actually take these groceries out and put them into practice so we grow more wise. Firstly, use one suggestion is use, use Proverbs 25 this week as a filter for reflecting on our words and actions. You may like to read it over breakfast and take to heart a couple of the Proverbs and then just see during the day where do those Proverbs speak into a situation. You'd be surprised to see how much they actually do.
Or at the end of the day, you may want to read through chapter 25 and look back on the day and use that as a, use a, as a filter for your words and actions. Secondly, um, perhaps we need to think about what, what area or issues in life do I need some wisdom? Do I need to get some more wise groceries into my trolley? You may just say, everywhere. Or it could be just a particular issue or a tricky season you're going through and like the man at Brownsville Foodworks, you need a 20 kilograms worth of wisdom for this particular issue. Whatever the case, the wonderful thing is our Heavenly Father delights to give us his wisdom's worth. So James chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Well, Jesus in Matthew 7, if you then, talking to the crowd, if you then know you are evil, know how to, good gifts, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And one of those gifts is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this is our encouraging reminder. When we're followers of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit working in us to transform us. So as we seek to get our wisdom's worth out of God's world, out of God's word, so we can live more skillfully in God's world, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. So we can say to each other, yeah, sure, I'm not as wise as I want to be, but in Christ, by the power of his Spirit, I'm far more wiser than I used to be. And thank you, Lord, for that. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord Jesus, on behalf of all of us gathered here now with our wide-ranging needs for wisdom, just in general, but if there's particular complex scenarios we're dealing with, painful relationships or situations we just don't know the way through, uh, by your Spirit, help us to continually to dwell in your Word to get your wisdom's worth. And where we, we've seen that we've put your wisdom into action and the benefits of this. And we give you thanks for that and remind us of that. So we keep asking, knowing that you'll keep giving. Amen.